Wednesday, March 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Brian White and Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday. It's the One Squad. It is the One Squad. Chris, before we start, I just have to jump out here, and, and it's a call out to every Wofford graduate <laughs> oh. or current student out there today. I mean, I just want to say how awesome it is that we are Southern Conference champions again, headed to the big dance for the third time in the last five years. Congratulations, Wofford Terriers. That was an awesome game. I know you watched some of it. I watched the whole thing. I watched a little bit of it, It yeah. was great stuff. Yes. For those who are wondering just what in the heck Jason is talking about, and certainly for folks who live outside the United States who may not be aware, we are coming up on what we like to call the big dance. It is the college basketball tournament here in the United States, and this is conference title week, and... A whole bunch of conference champions will be crowned this week. They get an automatic bid to the tournament. My American Eagles will be playing tonight up in Boston against the Boston University Terriers. So go Eagles. Hopefully they can make it in. Um, but yeah, this is a great, and I mean, Brian, I know you're a big, you're a big hoop fan. I don't know if it's, I know you're a Knicks fan. Hoyas. Hoyas. Yeah, that's it's right. been a disappointing year. Hoyas, you know, they still have a chance. Yeah. They still have a chance. Um, Let's get down to business. We're going to talk about the automotive industry, apparel, retail, Disney in the news for a couple of reasons. But let's start. Let's start with General Motors, and this is a story that really broke in a mainstream media sort of way last week. We didn't talk about it at all last week, in part because nothing was happening to the stock. And just to sum up, General Motors is recalling 1.6 million vehicles. Uh, vehicles that had a problem with the ignition. And basically, if I understand this correctly, if you had a keychain that was particularly heavy, under yeah. a certain set of circumstances, it could pull down the ignition so that the car would just stop. <laughs> it would just essentially turn your car off or your truck off. And this has led to somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 accidents, some of which resulted in deaths. And the reason we're talking about it today, Jason, is because now stuff's starting to get real because there are federal (laughs) investigations underway. We have subcommittees in both the House and Senate that are planning hearings on this recall. And what's at issue here is the age-old set of questions. What did GM know and when did they know it? And depending on which report you're reading, they may have known about this 10 years ago. <laughs> it's like you said earlier, right? The, f- the feds come knocking at your door. It's not usually to give you candies and, and flowers. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a problem. And I mean, on the one hand, I mean, you know, GM's new CEO, Mary Barra, the, the upside for her is that, I mean, former leadership at GM ha- has, they set the bar so absurdly low, so low that she beats it by just getting out of bed in the morning. And so she can look at it from that perspective. And really, these recalls are, these are just part and parcel of the automotive industry. I mean, they happen all the time. So the recall is in the news. I mean, the news is how leadership responds to these things. And so we've seen on on one end of the spectrum here, uh, you know, with Tesla recalls, for example, Elon Musk very quick to get out there and, and, and sort of uh, help resolve the situation. And on the other end of the spectrum here, you have GM, which I mean, I'm not going to say it's a cover up by any stretch of the imagination, but there's obviously something to this that warrants an investigation. And that's a big problem. So uh, who knows who knows how far this dates back or really uh, where, where the problem started. But, you know, for better or worse, it's it's uh, Miss Barra's problem to clean up now. And I, I wish her all the luck in the yeah, world. Yeah. Brian, shares of GM 
are down a little bit over the last week. They are basically where they were a month ago. Yeah. And to Jason's point, we see recalls in the automotive industry all the time. It is rare that they significantly hurt a stock. What are you watching as this story unfolds? Well, I think I think in GM's case for investors, I think you know your biggest risk is reputational, and I think we've seen it before with with Toyota, probably being the most recent example. Um, those things kind of fade, and it. The reason I say uh, reputation is probably the biggest risk because their bankruptcy, they have a deal with there. So any accidents before two thousand and nine, there's they're not going to be facing liabilities for. So I think that's one of the reasons why you see the stock pretty much flat. And the biggest, maybe the largest risk is reputational at this point. Jason, you mentioned Tesla Motors. In 2013, auto dealers in New Jersey sold 500,000 vehicles. And in the state of New Jersey, Tesla Motors in 2013 sold 500. Not 500,000, 500. And yet, New Jersey just became the latest state to ban the direct sale of Tesla's cars to consumers. Brian, we've got a little bit of a yeah. he said, she said going on where Tesla Motors saying, hey, look, we had a couple of stores in place. Our colleague Alex Shera, that's he went to the Short Hills Mall in New Jersey mm-hmm. to test drive his Tesla when he bought it. And so we had this provisional agreement. Now you've shut it down. You've changed it. New Jersey, the administration uh, for Governor Christie is saying, no, we haven't changed our policy. We made an allowance for you guys and we've we're sticking by our original policy. I don't know. I just look at this and I think five years out, we're just going to have fewer states going this route and more states saying, yeah, come on over, Tesla. We want to do business. Because certainly the state of New York, you know, there there are just a few minutes drive over a bridge or through a tunnel from northern New Jersey, you can get into New York State and get to a Tesla dealership. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and you can order it online, just pick it up out of state, and there's ways around it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I guess it makes sense from their perspective. I guess, you know, that, you know, there's people that don't want to see Tesla sold direct in New Jersey. And I guess it's, you know, it, it goes back to the... It goes back to some of the stuff we've talked about over the past years. Tesla's a threat, right? They're a threat to the auto industry, a threat to dealerships or whatever. And they and it's pretty clear that they view them as a threat. I don't I think it's I don't think it's necessarily really all that bad news for Tesla cuz obviously if you really want a Tesla, you're going to be able to get a Tesla. I don't know, Jason. I'm I'm I understand from a short-term perspective why the auto dealers are doing this. In, in states like yeah, New Jersey, term, exactly. in Texas, in North yeah. Carolina. We've seen this before. But it also strikes me as sort of weak. It is. That it's just it – on a certain level, you're saying, we can't compete with Tesla. We're afraid of them, even though we literally sold 1,000 more vehicles <laughs> in the state than they did last year. But we view them as such a threat that we're just going to look to – Ban them, however we can. Right, and so I mean, I think this is the this is the process, uh, the slow process of disruption. Right, I mean, that's Tesla, like Brian so astutely noted, there is a threat to virtually uh, every one of the auto business at this point. We have this age old model that really embraces the middleman, um, and, and you know, ultimately ends up uh, raising prices for consumers. And uh, Tesla is in the middle of really trying to turn this thing up on its head, and you know. Short term, yeah, I think it's it's something that 
they're going to make a lot of headlines with and some politicians in some states will draw a line in the sand and that'll be that. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think long run, you have you have so many people rooting for the success of a company like this because it's it's so far beyond just automobiles. I mean, it's it's really it's energy policy. It's sort of thinking about our future decades down the line here and, and what Tesla stands for. So I think overall you have, you know, an overwhelming majority of the people who are who are in support of really what Tesla stands for and what they're gunning for. Uh, and the nice thing about, you know, voting, and because this, I think, essentially was the product of a vote, is that, uh, you know, when the tide turns, uh, new votes happen and policies change. And so I imagine that as time goes on, we'll see that slowly but surely this this sort of uh, process of disruption will continue to play out and more states will jump on board. And, and I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see in 10 years' time a certainly a different landscape than we're looking at today. Well, and uh, maybe I'm selling them uh, the, the politicians short in terms of how long down the road they it's are. It's okay. You can sell politicians. Well, no, no, no. But, but I, I was talking with Alex Scherer earlier this morning, and he made the point, hey, look, this is just Tesla. But these politicians, at least some of them, may be thinking in terms of, well, they're the first one of their kind. But if we open the gates for them, then that sets the stage for any Tesla knockoff, any company from China, any company that is building a next generation electric vehicle well, now we have to let them all in, and that that's where the threat comes. And think about sort of these, these things. So I, you look at the Amazon situation, right, where the whole issue of them collecting sales tax from Internet sales kind of came into play. And there was this misunderstanding of people saying that Amazon was going to charge sales tax. It didn't have anything to do with that. They, they were just collecting sales tax based on the state in which you were conducting business. Uh, you had some states that you know really butted heads with Amazon, and you had Amazon that, that kind of – looked at it from a different perspective and said, okay, hey, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to go ahead and start collecting sales tax. We'll embrace that. And what we're going to do is we're going to start building out more distribution centers, more fulfillment centers in these states where we're now collecting sales tax. And we're going to create new jobs for these states. And we're going to be really seen as kind of a, a you know a net positive of this process. And so I think you'll see kind of the same dynamic will play out for Tesla over, over the years, I'm sure. Just to wrap up on Tesla stock, uh, Brian, I'm curious, when you look at it now and the run it's had, for someone like me, you know what? I'll just be really selfish for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> this is a stock that I've had on my watch list for a while. Okay. Before their latest earnings, I thought, ah, oh, maybe they'll miss and the stock will yeah, drop. Yeah, 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 yeah. That obviously didn't work yeah. out well for me. It worked out well for current share- shareholders. If I think this is a stock I want to own for the next 10 years, should I just start – should I just buy shares or should I wait for a dip? I th- – Okay, it's a, a tough question. <laughs> it is tough because I, I would I basically, say because honestly, I'm rooting for a miss in the yeah. way that our CEO Tom Gardner has talked before over the last few months about how he is actively rooting for yeah, the yeah, market yeah. to drop ten percent. Yeah. I'm actively rooting for Tesla to completely blow it one quarter, just so I can selfishly. Get I think it in anyone that place. wants to build a position in Tesla is doing the same, right? So I I would say that, for instance. If I were you and I said, I want a 3% position in Tesla, give or take, if, you know, a little bit, 3%. Maybe I buy a half a percent position and, 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 wait, and spend 12, maybe months building that position up with your fingers crossed. Right. You know, there's no need to take that full position today, given the price where it is today. But there's also, you know, an argument to make a small position. You're going to follow it closer by taking a position, but build into it and keep your fingers crossed that it drops. I agree. Yeah, I'll piggyback just a little bit off what Brian said. We were talking about this yesterday in the live chat we had with uh, with 
Dave and Tom Gardner here in the studio for, for Motley Fool One. And uh, the question was asked in regard to sort of that very thing is, is when you have a stock where you feel like, you know, the one thing that prevents you from buying the stock today is the valuation. How do you approach that situation? And, and I think we all responded with basically the same notion here that if you found a company where you believe in the leadership team, you believe in what the company does, uh, you believe in the trend that that it's playing into and in all signs really point towards go with the exception of valuation well valuation you know i know a lot of value investors would disagree with me here but uh valuation it, it's very tricky it's very subjective in many cases if you've got a company where you are all systems go with the exception of valuation you almost really owe it to yourself to go ahead and open that small position get some skin in the game just to start following it it doesn't mean load up your full position Buy a couple of shares. Just get your get your name in the hat there, and then you know you can pull for that miss if you want to add some more on the cheap. But really, uh, valuation. It's if you have a company that you're really all for. I, I don't know that I'd let valuation completely uh, prevent you from from buying into it. I tend to I tend to be a little cautious when the world you know, especially in the market, just falls in love. I mean, we've seen it with Apple. We're seeing it with Tesla. So that's a little reason for caution. Investors who had the apparel retailer Express on their watch list and were hoping for a miss. <laughs> it's Christmas morning. Uh, fourth quarter profit was a miss. Traffic in the stores was down. They lowered guidance, Jason, seemingly through the floor. This is, and for those who don't know, and this is an apparel retailer I'm not particularly familiar with because they don't target me. This is aimed at people in their 20s and 30s. So I'm I'm way beyond that, but holy cow, this is I mean we got a stock hitting a new 52 week low. So again, if it's on your watch list, congratulations. Yeah, you said they guided lower, and I mean let's just be very clear how low that was. I mean the release they guided for the first quarter, uh, same store sales to come in at negative low double to negative high single digits. So any which way you cut it, it's gonna be really bad. That's code for people are not coming into our stores. <laughs> And uh, but I, I think you keyed in on something that that is uh, very important with this company. It's why I would never sink a penny into it, regardless. Is that their market opportunity? They're focused solely on that twenty to thirty year old customer. I mean, it's just a tiny little, just a, a tiny little segment of the retail of the retail industry out there, and, it, and it's. You know, clothing, apparel, that stuff, obviously, the tastes change, styles change over time. So even with the stock getting hammered today, I mean, this, there's nothing interesting to me about this company at all. And we've talked before about going after niche players, and sometimes that can work really well for you. But is it fair to say, Brian, that if you are operating in the niche of a given industry, you have a smaller margin for error? Yeah, I think that's true, but I, but I would also say if you are operating within malls, <laughs> there's a problem. And I think this is the story around Expresses. They got a problem with traffic. You're a mall operator. You're a mall retailer. It's a broader story. It's not an Express story. It's a it's a mall traffic story. I, I would I, I'd have a lot of trouble, you know, if I was a CEO or I'm involved in a company that has your store base within malls. They're you're in big you're in trouble. He's exactly right. Mall traffic is down, and the retailers that are really winning uh, this this sort of longer term game here in in direct to consumer and e commerce 
companies like Under Armour, Nike, they really are doing a wonderful job in this space here. But when you look at uh, Express, I mean, there was a little bit of a bright spot there in the quarter where e-commerce sales grew 14%. Uh, but margins overall, all the way down the line, gross, operating net, everything fell still. I mean, in theory, that should be helping your margin picture. So, uh, you know, it certainly goes well past their e-commerce strategy to just, I think, general uh, you know, footprint strategy, market opportunity, and, and just the limitations of what this business is going to be interesting do. to watch these retailers play out over the next two years throughout yeah. the holiday seasons and everything. This was a big wake up call, I think, this holiday season. Express also just named Kate Upton as their new brand ambassador. They know. And, that and I think hurt. if, yeah, and, I, and for those not familiar, she's the Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover model. And I think when we study business history, I think it's clear that when you're Profit margins are down, and you're having inventory problems. Hiring a supermodel turns that around immediately. That just solves all your problems immediately. No comment. Not really. Not really. <laughs> uh, let's wrap up with Disney. Two stories with Disney um, reports, uh, neither of which have <laughs> what what I could define as confirmation. But let's talk about them anyway. Uh, one seems a bit more real than the other. Uh, the first is that. Uh, there are multiple reports that Disney is looking to buy Maker Studios, which is an online video company, for about $500 million. That was uh, the price I had seen. Uh, the New York Post is also reporting – there you go. That's that's all you need to hear. Right the New York Post is also <laughs> – Not reporting, the Times. <laughs> the New York Post is also reporting that Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg is now on the list – the short list of those who have a chance to succeed Bob Iger as CEO at Disney. Let's get to that in a minute, but let's first start with the uh, the online video. Uh, it, it seems to be, on the face of it, a potentially a smart acquisition by Disney, and Bob Iger has made a bunch of smart acquisitions. But for all the success Disney has had in all of their divisions, this is one – where they've struggled a little bit. Maybe struggle is too strong a word, but but when it comes to online video and certainly when it comes to game, you know, video gaming, they really haven't had the success that they've seen with television networks, movie studios, parks, etc. You know, I think I struggle is a good word actually for that. They've really struggled with this interactive market segment. It's basically recorded an operating loss uh, every year since its inception and they just had a hard time, you know, that that's just been that's been the one nut they've not been able to crack yet. Uh, for everything that they do so well, I think you know a good analogy here. We talk a lot about Starbucks and how well Starbucks has done to this point without ever really getting food right. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how well Disney has done up to this point. You know, look at this interactive segment in the internet and just uh, that that whole sort of digital platform is becoming more and more important as time goes on. So this gives them, I think, an interesting opportunity to help sort of reshape, re-strategize that segment. And it's also been very interesting to watch this evolution of YouTube since Google acquired it. It's gone from just sort of a you know a place to throw a flip cam video to actually a legit network with. I mean this this maker uh, this this maker studio they they garner five and a half billion video views a month. I mean five and a half billion with three hundred eighty million subscribers. I mean that's those are. Those are obviously just phenomenal numbers, uh, and, and Disney obviously has a pretty good model in, in how they develop talent uh, through their through their different channels um, and, and TV shows. So, I mean, they, they, there's no reason to think they couldn't pull it off here either. Well, and YouTube is now second in search. If you break it out as a separate entity apart from Google.com, YouTube is now <laughs> – so Google has – 
the first and second players in the search industry, which is you know sad news for anyone betting on Bing. But, Not a bad position. To um, what about Sheryl Sandberg as the next uh, potential CEO? Bob Iger stepping down in 2016. There are certainly candidates within the Disney empire, uh, the head of TV, the head of parks. Um, Sheryl Sandberg, however, brings her her own set of credentials. And I'm not a Facebook shareholder, but she seems integral to the success of Facebook. And I'm basing that in part on the conference calls. When they're doing their quarterly conference calls, she's pretty much running the show there, particularly when it comes to the nuts and bolts of Facebook's business. Mark Zuckerberg, when he's on there, is great for talking about the vision and the direction that they want to go in. But when it comes to all the moving parts of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg really has that. I don't know. You're shaking your head, Brian. <laughs> I don't see Mark letting letting her go. I mean, he's gonna if if it, if there was any truth to it, he's gonna throw out some kind of figure that's gonna make it very difficult. And I'm not so sure that Sandberg is really interested. I mean, Disney is what Disney is, and it's you know it's a huge and it's been a hugely successful business. But I think uh, Facebook gives her more reasons to wake up and get excited to go to work than going to take over for Iger, which is going to be difficult. Um, I was just going to say, yeah. it's it's one thing if you're Marissa Mayer and you are going to Yahoo, which has, uh, it's fair to say, struggled with its most recent set of CEOs, to follow Bob Iger, whoever gets the job, <laughs> Cheryl Sandberg, whoever gets that job, good luck to him or her, because that is... That is the proverbial tough act to follow. And trying to grow that business. I mean, at this point, it's a steady state, low growth business, and that's probably what it's going to be. It's it's a phenomenal business, but because it predominantly because of ESPN. But um, the, Sandberg, I think, sticks with Facebook. I don't. I don't think it's a no brainer. I wouldn't pay too much attention. Yeah, I think Zuckerberg loves having her on that team, and I'm. I, I think Brian's right that. She, he he would certainly sweeten the pot to keep her around, and um, and yeah, I mean to your point, I, I have no doubt that she could do very well at Disney, but it's not like she's it's not like she's taking Ron Johnson's place. I mean, you're filling <laughs> in. Bob Iger has done quite a good job, and I mean that trifecta of acquisitions there, and, and this this you know this maker acquisition, the YouTube thing could could be another one. And those are some big shoes to fill. So it it wouldn't shock me if she ended up there, but by the same token, I don't think she will. Brian White, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.